Welcome, everybody, to this episode of the Tabletop Battlefield Live. I'm Jason, the creator of the Tabletop Battlefield, and today we're going to start a brand new series, because last time I finished up my Tau Empire Firewear cosplay helmet. So we're going back to uh, something I kind of started this whole Twitch.tv channel with, well, when I relaunched it this year. I'm going to start my work on painting Cypher, Lord of the Fallen. This is the miniature that Games Workshop released about six months ago in the triumphant of the Primark, just before 8th edition was announced. It was the last part of the Gathering Storm book. I've always won this miniature, and now it's time for me to sit down here and paint him. Paint him up. And if you're watching, listen, getting confused already. If you're listening to this later on on the Tabletop Battlefield podcast feeds, I'm probably going to go ahead and dump this episode out to that and wondering what the heck is going on. Earlier this year, I started doing a lot of live streaming on Twitch.tv over at Twitch.tv forward slash Rocker Robotics, where I've been doing a lot of tabletop game related projects. So I painted a few figures up. I did some cosplay work, and now I'm going back to painting this manager here. And as I go along today, talking about painting up Cypher, I will also be going over my notes that I should have hung up on the wall, which I didn't. Uh-oh. My printer got jammed. Good, it's still there. <laughs> I got my notes here that I made about talking about GW's financial report for the 2016-2017 year. And I need to go quickly hang this thing up on the wall so I can read it. Walk over to my camera bag over here and grab some gaffer's tape. Okay, so I think today in terms of painting up Cypher, I'm probably going to work on his armor. I don't know how much more I will get. These live streams usually run about an hour or so, and, you know, I paint up a little bit from there. So I'm going to start working on his armor, and maybe if I get that done, I might move on to working on his cloak. So here is the official art card that I got when I bought this miniature. This is Games Workshop's generous free gift when you bought something like 50 bucks that week. It's a picture of Cypher himself. He's got a very dark gray armor. I'm not going to quite follow the official artwork just quite right. I'm going to have a little bit of a greenish armor to him, so maybe a little bit more of a traditional Dark Angels look instead of this more whatever kind of he is. He's kind of this weird mix of chaos, possibly Imperium. No one really knows who is, what his allegiance really is. So that's what I'm going to do for his armor anyway. When it comes to painting, I'm primarily going to be working with GW's Artificial Layer Brush. I've used this thing so far quite a bit this year. It's a fantastic brush. It's expensive, but the bristles hold together really well, and that makes it an absolutely amazing brush. If you don't want to pay quite that much, you can get a, what was this guy, a Winsor Newton Sable 7 Series 7 brush. Winsor, Winsor Newton Series 7 brush. You can find these a little bit cheaper online than what Games Workshop's Artificial Layer brush goes for. And they have the same level of quality. They may actually be the same thing. Some people think that. And then finally, for in terms of actually working, mixing paint together, I am working with a wet palette. There's plenty of tutorials out there on the internet. If you're not familiar with what a wet palette is, it's just a way of keeping your pets, pets, keeping your paints wet and thin down a little bit as you go ahead and not paint the miniature up, not waste paints and things like that. So let me slide over to my other camera here and we'll get started with the painting process. Now I've got five parts here for Cypher. He's primed in the standard Chaos Black primer that Games Workshop uses, so you can get an idea of how I assemble them. I have his main body. I also then have his robe and arms separate as a separate piece, because so I figured I was going to have to paint the inside of the robe here, so I want to keep that separate. I also kept separate his backpack with the giant sword in the back, which is supposed supposedly the sword of Lionel Johnson. And then I, he also had a separate pistol. This is his bolt pistol that kind of keeps along his side. That was separate. 
And then for his base, I kind of made a little bit of a custom base to it where I took a little bit of chipboard, I think it is, and made it look like he's kind of standing on some sort of metal raised platform with a little railing. So the idea is he's going to be standing like this, overlooking this railing, and that's going to be the final pose that I use for him. Let me set these pieces off to the side here because I'm primarily going to be working with his armor. So for his base armor color, I am going to take a little bit of the Abaddon black, and I'm already going to darken down the Caliban green, which is the base color. Now Caliban green is already a fairly dark color to begin with, but I really want to start with a really dark color and work up from there, and just kind of gradually increase the brightness until I feel like it's kind of like the color I want to go with. Alright, so let's talk about GW's financial reports. Is this the, oh, this is the brand, one second here, let me go grab, before I do that, let me grab the other Caliban green. I've got two of these and I grabbed the one that's not open. One moment. There's the one that is open. Let me put this one back in the drawer then. For those of you who watched the live stream for Kairos Fate Weaver, right, I had a whole debacle where I bought too many things of Caliban Green, and that's kind of why Kairos Fate Weaver ended up as green. <laughs> it's, a, it's a funny story, trust me. Okay. So when it comes to Games Workshop's financial report, of course, Games Workshop is a financial... Is a financial... Blah, blah, blah. Games Workshop is a publicly traded company. I believe they are listed on the London Stock Exchange. And no, I do not own any stock in Games Workshop. That would be kind of silly of me, being the fact that I've covered Games Workshop and other companies over the years. Plus, I run a competing company at Games Workshop, so that'd be even sillier, right? Um, so... The financial year for Games Workshop runs from about, I believe it is like July 1st to June 30th of each year. So obviously this year it ended back in June 30th, right before the release of 8th edition. And if you've never read any of the Games Workshop's financial reports before, they're actually quite fascinating. They are the only, as far as I can tell, the only purely dedicated publicly traded games company. So you can get a lot of really interesting information, not only into Games Workshop themselves, but just into the games industry as a whole by reading these financial reports. You know, of course, there's Wizards of the Coast, but Wizards of the Coast, they're owned by Hasbro. So it's quite possible that if you were to dive into the details of Hasbro's publicly traded financial statement, there's probably something in there about Wizards of the Coast, since you know Magic the Gathering is just a monster of a money-making machine. At least, at least in the Detroit area, it's a monster of a money-making machine. Most of the game stores in this area survive on Magic the Gathering, as far as I can tell. But you know, Fancy Flight, I don't believe they're publicly traded. Privateer Press is not, so it's a very interesting window when you start looking in the financial reports of Games Workshop. And I think it's very important to not only do this, if you have any interest in really trying to figure out what exactly Games Workshop is doing, because you got to remember uh, that you know they're a business and they're here to make money by selling us high-quality miniatures. That's That's what they do, and that's... And that's their end goal is not only to make money doing that, but make money for their investors. I've found, you know, over the years, you read a lot of commentary on, you know, Games Workshop and 
whether they're a good company or whether they're a bunch of idiots, which, you know, they're not a bunch of idiots, I'll tell you that right off the bat. Um, but, you know, a lot of people seem to think they are because you got to be careful not to analyze Games Workshop as a hobbyist. You, it's often some of their decisions can seem a little screwy from, you know, like a gamer perspective, like almost as if they're trying to ruin the game or do this or do that. But if you understand their financial goals and what they're trying to do, it makes sense. It doesn't mean that it's maybe you know good in the long run. They've definitely reversed decisions over the years, tried things, explained why things didn't work, all that kind of stuff. All this, all these details of what works and what doesn't work, you know, are can be found within um, you know these financial reports. So it's not like what's the word you know. So it's not like they don't make mistakes. They do, and they. And explain, you know, what would happen, why this idea went wrong, and what went south of this objective or this protocol, whatever you want to call them, uh, project, or they have a, I, my brain's blanking on what the fancy term is, but you know what I mean. So all this information is found within the financial reports here. And the financial reports itself has several parts to it. Primarily, I'm interested in the strategic report. This is the thing that has all the money stuff to it. So how much money they made, where they made it at, and kind of what their overall money-making goals are. There are There's another section, the director's report, the director's report, there's corporate governance, and those have a lot of stats about the company. They talk about things like, you know, uh, responsibilities of government regulations, I think, are in there. They talk about, you know, their corporate non-money corporate goals, like, you know, our diversity, what kind of gender diversity we have, environmental responsibilities, things like that. So that's, the non-really money-making stuff is often in those sections of the report. <laughs> and I'm continuing to work here with the Taliban Green mixed in with some you know, a bad in black, and of course, you probably can't see much on the camera. <laughs> I swear there is a little bit of a color, a green color there. Not a lot, but you know, the basic gist, of course, when you're painting miniatures, is you always want just just small changes. You know, you don't need to be making big, you know, bold color changes all the time. Having small changes is never a bad thing. So I'm just finishing up here the first layer of color on his armor and then I'll start working on giving it a little bit more of a distinctive color because then kind of looking here there's a very slight <laughs> let's see I don't know how close I can get this guy without with still focusing the camera hold on let's go up nope go down let's go over this way and down a bit more so you, there's you can maybe able to see there's a tiny bit of green coloring to his leg there in the armor but I'll be honest with you there's probably not a huge amount of visible color change there, even to me sitting here as the painter. Let me go ahead and do the same thing with his arm, because here's the other piece. This is his cloak that goes on the left side of his body, and it's kind of like reaching around to pull out his other pistol with this arm, so I'm using... So I kept this separate, and I'll glue this piece together at the end. I'm just going to apply the same dark green color over here to this part of his armor. So let's talk a little bit about the kind of the financial, recent financial history of Games Workshop. I've been following their financial reports for a number of years now. 
And at least for the past few years, let's say three or four years, I don't know exactly when it was, but they've kind of been on a bit of a downward slide. They peaked, like I said, several years ago in terms of revenue, and it hasn't been a huge drop. It's not like they've been, you know, hemorrhaging customers left and right, but we were, you know, you're talking about maybe a low single digit low single digit percentage drop in revenue each year for the past few years they were going down you know a few million pounds a year in revenue for like i said for the past 3 or 4 years which games workshop recently's revenue has been somewhere in the range of about 100 to 115 million pounds per year then came this year 20 the middle of 2016 to the middle of 2017 and i'll talk about that here in just a moment let me move on to the next color now what I'm going to do is take some more of the Caliban Green. I'm going to put some more of that back on my wet palette over here. And I'm thinking that I want to get a little bit of a lighter green color. Not a lot. I'm going to work with the next step up in Games Workshop's line. I think it's next step up. We have Warpstone Glow. This is a layer paint, a little bit brighter green paint. And I'm going to actually try to bring out some green on Cypher's armor. Because I swear there's a little bit of green there. You can't tell it on the camera. But there is definitely a little tiny bit of green there. And of course, if you are watching live here on this Twitch.tv stream, feel free to ask any questions in the chat room. I'm just kind of painting up Cypher, and I'm talking a little bit about the most recent financial report from Games Workshop, because, you know, I love talking about the financial stuff of this company. It's fascinating to do so. And I'm going to work with this color, but I'm definitely going to put in a little bit of a little bit of black in there. So I'm actually highlighting the green and kind of bringing it down a little bit with the, the abandoned black, and I'm definitely going to be applying it on a relatively thin amount of paint. You know, standard procedure, I like applying a lot of thin layers of paint instead of one thick one. You can control the transition of the color a little bit better. And I think it just, in the end result, you get something a little bit, little bit nicer. But let's talk about this year for Games Workshop in terms of their revenue. Because it jumped up a lot. <laughs> like I say, you know, in the past few years, it's been a, around 115 million pounds, 100 to... 110, 107, somewhere in that range. Because, like I said, they've been on a slow slide. But this year, it jumped up to 158 million pounds of revenue. That is that is quite a jump. Now, so you do the math there. That's almost a was it almost a 50 percent jump in, in revenue. And this is before, of course, eighth edition. Now, when it comes to factoring eighth edition. There's also different accounting methods in terms of how a company records their revenue and profit and things like that. I don't really know, you know, what method Games Workshop uses. Plus, they are a, you know, based in the UK, and I'm unsure what accounting laws exist in the UK. But you know, like in the United States, there's different types of accounting methods that allow you to record, you know, how you want to record when a certain transaction occurred and stuff like that. So it's possible that this revenue we're talking about here doesn't even factor in the pre-orders for Warhammer 40,000 8th edition. But there's a, you, you, when you get into talking about revenues of a company over in the UK right now, you get into talking about the always pretty obnoxious, probably probably sick of hearing political topic of the Brexit. Now, I don't really know a lot about the, econ the economics of the Brexit. It's not something I pay a whole lot of attention to. So this is kind of me just repeating what I've heard other people say. And just, it's just an important note that this may, this may be a bit of a concern for any company operating in the UK. 
the British pound has definitely fallen in value over the past year. It's generally accredited to the fact of the Brexit. Now, the Brexit is the process that the United Kingdom is leaving the European Union. There's an entire vote on this, you know, I don't know, might have been a little bit over a year ago at this point. And so they're essentially got to pull out of the various treaties that form that. There's some economic consequences and things like that. And it, there's, a, there's a whole whole political mess around it. If you're not familiar with what's going on, just search Brexit and you can read about it for you know hours upon hours upon hours. <laughs> but one of the things that people are kind of saying is a side effect of it is the weakening of the British pound. Oddly enough, for whatever reason, I don't know, the UK never really fully switched over to using the euro, which was the currency of the primary currency of the European Union. They've stuck with the British pound, which is, you know, what they've been using for quite a long time. But nevertheless, it hasn't been a great year for the British pound, and like I said, it's, going, it's been weakened a little bit. So there's a terminology I'm going to be using, not only I use, but also Games Workshop and the financial report uses, is constant currency, which is trying to say this is how much money we really earned if there wasn't this whole issue of the British pound being so weak. So while 158 million sounds really, really impressive, that the constant currency revenue they generated was really more like 143 million pounds, which still is a heck of a lot more than they made in previous years. But it's not quite, you know, it's still pretty super awesome. Let's be realistic. That's, that's a fantastic number. That's a maybe 30%-ish increase in revenues over a year to year. Yeah, so, wow, okay, that's that's quite a jump. Let's talk, a, and the other the other aspect of their revenues, and this is, you know, this number I'm about to drop here is included within the 143 million pounds, and we're going to talk more about the details of it later, but of course, is royalty. So, most of the money Games Workshop makes comes from their core business of selling miniatures and the products related to said miniatures. But they do have royalties. They have video games. They had Fantasy Flight's the licensing deal with Fantasy Flight. So royalties brought in 7.5 million pounds last year. And I can, we can break this down in more detail later because I have the, the numbers in terms of what goes to what category. But we will deal with that here in just a moment. I'm just about done with this layer of paint. I'm deciding here what exactly I want to do color-wise. It got a little bit more of a green going. It's still very dark, but there is a little bit more of a green color going here. So let me just paint up the other arm here. And I think what I might do, have a little bit of fun, is I'm going to toss in a little bit of blue into this armor. So just a very faint, very faint hint of blue. We don't want to make them look like an ultramarine. That just look weird. <laughs> Oh, he's got little shoulder pads. What are the shoulder pad colors? Oh, they're kind of his armor color too, aren't they? Yeah, he, that's right. Oh, you're right. He does have the, his shoulder pad is quite visible on this on this piece. Not so much over here. So I got to paint the shoulder pads quickly. Just get a little bit of color on them. But I think then we'll make it a little bit toss a little bit of blue in there. Maybe add one more layer to make it look a little bit lighter. A few basic highlights. Try to bring out some highlights without adding too strong of a color. Just some hints of some highlights. And then I 
think we might do some like wear and damage on it and do some kind of fun little effects like that. Alright, that's that's pretty good for this layer of this very dark green mixture. I'm gonna lighten this mixture up a little bit, so I still got it's still mostly a mixture of Caliban green with the warpstone glow. I'm gonna toss a little bit more warpstone glow in here. And maybe even toss in a little bit of what is this? Altdorf Guard Blue. <laughs> For some reason, I know Altdorf is a city in the Empire. I had to go look it up last time I was using that color when I was painting some War Machine stuff. It's it's a city in the old world empire. For some reason that color makes me laugh. I don't know why. It just it just does. So I, I apologize, I'll probably laugh a few more times talking about it, but I'm going to take some of the Altdorf blue here, mix that in, and I'm going to add in a little bit more of the Warpstone Glow just to make it a little bit brighter color of the armor. So let's see, we left off talking about the royalties and the details of that are going to come later. Now, the opening part of a lot of, not a lot, probably all public traded financial reports is always a preamble. It's somebody high up in the company kind of talking about the year in terms of financially and kind of setting the tone of the report. And in this case, we have, for this year, we had Tom Kirby. Tom Kirby identifies himself as the non-executive chairman. That's his title. And this is going to be his last year, I believe, in that role. He talks about leaving the company at, at the end of this preamble. But let me get, let me mix up the paint here so you can see I've got, here's my wet palette. So I got a little bit of a bluish tint going on there. I'm going to probably mix in a little bit more of the, whatever this is, the, who's the bad guy? Bad in black. <laughs> it's like, come on, I should know this name. It's like a bad and the evil bad guy. So we got a very darkish green, slightly maybe blue. Let's, let's lighten up just a tiny bit. And then I can thin it down a lot. And that way it doesn't really affect the color too much. So I want to just get a little bit brighter color on this armor. Not a lot, just a little bit brighter. So there we go. We got a little bit of a brighter green color for me to work with. And maybe I got a few, I can put a few thin layers, even brighter color green, whatever it may be. So let's talk a little bit about Tom Kirby's opening statement. Um, he goes on... He talks about a whole bunch of different things. A, a big thing is that early on is a lot about industry and the world changes. And that it it's, can be very difficult for companies to keep up with this kind of a thing. He cites, as an example, the United States railroad industry, which at the beginning of the 20th century was some... He, he, he tossed out a number. I want to say like 33% of the total GDP of the United States in early 20th century. And today, they're like less than 2%. And kind of the drive home this point, the idea that new markets are always kind of coming up and appearing. I, you know, computer software, internet, IT, all that stuff didn't really exist. Well, internet didn't really exist that much like 30 years ago. Let alone, you know, IT and computer softwares are not much older than that. So it's a ch he basically makes a point that it's very challenging for a company to not only survive, but to grow. You'll see this a lot, especially in the United States. I don't know what the UK's investment scene is like, but there's always a pressure in the, for any kind of United States company to grow their revenues quarter after quarter. 
even if you look at a company like Apple, which is by some measures the wealthiest company in the world, if even if they sell a billion iPhones, I don't think they sell quite that many. I don't know what they sell, but they sell a lot. Not a billion, but you know. So let's say crapton. That's an official Games Workshop terminology is crapton. We know that because they used to describe that in one of their um, one of the starter sets a couple of editions ago. It was a crapton number of miniatures. So Apple could sell a crapton number of phones, and even if that makes them 17 craptons worth of profit, if they didn't grow their sales by an extra crap ton the next quarter, investors tend to really hit them hard over it. And Tom Kirby does actually talk about this in this whole section. In fact, he uses the phrase, grow, damn it. That's actually an actual quote from his preamble. That's not me summarizing it. That is actually in there. <laughs> he does He does a little bit of a curse in the preamble of Games Workshop's financial report. You can take away from that what you want. But that he said there was always a challenge for Games Workshop was trying to grow their industry because this is now this is me talking. I'm going to jump in back to Jason talking. This isn't um, Tom Kirby's talking. This is my commentary. If there's any company in the tabletop game industry that's really hit their market saturation, it's Games Workshop. I don't, you know, in theory, everybody could be a Games Workshop customer, but the reality is this market really only appeals to a fairly limited number of people. It's still enough to make 150 million rev- pounds in revenue. But it's a relatively small market compared to the general population. And I, th- I think Games Workshop is really at the point to where in order to grow their market a lot more, they would have had to spend a lot of money. I mean, you mean a lot of money in marketing. So one of their you know initial responses over the past few years was to try to get a little bit more money out of their existing customer base. And I don't think that really worked very well, to be honest with you. They talk about some of the changes they're making this year in terms of pricing structure and price increases and stuff like that. So I think that kind of the approach, as one of the approaches the Games Workshop took over the past couple of years, was to try to get a little bit more money out of their customer base, and that kind of backfired. The other big thing they tried to do was save costs wherever they could, and they're still doing some of those initiatives from that time. Initiatives is the word I was thinking of. That's the big, that's a fancy company terminology, also used in games like crazy. But um, when you try, when a company tries to do something, it's called an initiative. That's the word I was thinking of. Um, so some of their you know big initiatives over the past few years are still around monetary and it's still affecting their policy today. I mean, if we have time here, I'll get into talking about that because it's already been about a half an hour. Wow, I've been really rambling. So. But that's that's mainly the big frustration thing that Tom Kirby talks about in this preamble is that how difficult it has been for them to grow their market. And that's because of the fact they weren't growing their market, investors were not particularly happy with them. But the big thing he kind of says about Games Workshop is that not only are we, you know, make the best miniatures in the world, we make a mass produce the best miniatures in the world. He has a, a quote in the, a line in there. I'm pretty sure I got it. It's, you know, it's more or less, I don't know if exact word for word, but he more or less says, anybody can make a high quality miniature, but only we can make 30 million of them in a year. <laughs> so Games Workshop is kind of not only pushing their investors, you know, we make the best miniatures in the world, but we make a whole bunch of these. And the reality is true. There are plenty of third-party companies these days 
that can make some truly amazing miniatures. And there's other bigger companies out there that make very good miniatures, Ivy. Some of the stuff that Warlord is cranking out for Antares is really beautiful. I mean, I'm a little bit biased towards Caladagian miniatures. I think they're pretty cool. But, you know, I'm obviously a bit biased in that category. Privateer Press has some freaking awesome miniatures. I was just looking at the Archangel for the Legion of Everblight last night. Playing was playing higher, High Command. And I'm probably going to get that miniature and paint it up on the, on the stream because that's a freaking amazing miniature. But it's Games Workshop's manufacturing processes that lets them produce so many miniatures and still, after all these years, be the market leader in the tabletop gaming industry. And then, and then you kind of go into a section of the report where you t they kind of talk a about the overall business structure and plan of Games Workshop. There's some interesting numbers in there, and we'll dive into those here in just a moment. Let me go and add one more layer on to this armor. Let me hold Cypher up here, see if you can see any color change on them. Probably not, but there is... That's, okay, you can see some, there's, there's some green there. As I turn the miniature around, and it kind of flashes off my studio lights, you can start to see there is a little bit of green to his armor. Not a lot, just a little bit. I'm going to start adding some a little bit highlights, probably a little bit bluish highlights around some of the edges of his armor. And how I like to add these highlights is I'm going to put some more of the Altdorf blue down. And I'm going to be using just tiny, tiny amounts of paint on my brush at a time. I'll show you this in a moment here. So let's mix a little bit of the Altdorf blue, Altdorf Guard blue with some of the Warpstone glow. Maybe toss in a little bit of that previous layer color. So let's see. Here's my wet palette. This little blob right here is the color I'm working with right now. I'm going to tap in just a tiny amount on the very tip of the brush. Let me do that again. So you can, I barely press the brush into the color. The reason why I do that is by having such a tiny amount of paint on the brush, what happens is the paint on the brush runs out very quickly, and then I start to blend this new color in with the layers below it. And I keep putting very small amounts of paint on a time on the brush, and I brush it in until it runs out. I get another tiny amount. I do the same thing over and over again. So this way, I can very easily, with only a small amount of paint, start to add highlights to whatever edge I'm working on, and it and it really doesn't get that very distinctive edge look that you often see on miniatures. It gets a much more blended appearance. And it's a great way of getting some edge highlighting without making it really overbearing. And you just gotta, you know, it's more work. You gotta apply a bunch of layers to it. But, you know, it's just kind of how things go, right? So it takes longer to do it. But you can get a much smoother, much cooler looking, more professional, I guess, if you want to say for a fancy fake word, professional, a look to the edge highlighting than just having like a really bright line along the edges of the armor. All right, so what was I talking about a minute ago? Oh, yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about highlighting some of the details of Games Workshop's business model because that's part of the report is dedicated to this. You know, they, they like to be... They take a lot of pride in the fact that they're headquarters in Nottingham. So they're a UK-based company, and they love to mention that. They love to mention that their manufacturing is in the UK, and most of the stuff they make is from there. I don't know 
if they still use Chinese manufacturing at all. The books might be made in China. I don't really know off the top of my head. The miniatures, I know they're all made in the UK. Let me look at, here, this is a recent color. Uh, paints are made in the UK. So they, are, they take a lot of pride in the fact that they manufacture their stuff in the UK. And you do see this throughout not only the report here talking about their, their business structure, but also oftentimes when you look at the, the, what they spend their money on each year, there's always a chunk of several million pounds being spent on improving and upgrading their manufacturing facilities in the UK. Their headquarters in Nottingham has 187 people. This is up from last year. I believe last year's financial reports, they had like 167, 160-ish. So they're clearly hiring more people, which means you know the company itself is very... Uh, they're they're themselves are very confident in their business, so that's you know that's showing that they feel that they're very strong if they're hiring a lot of people and you know adding 20 people to your workforce is for a company the size of Games Workshop that's over a 10% increase. That's probably a pretty good sign, especially if you're working there and wondering if your job's in jeopardy. But no, it sounds like you're probably in pretty good shape, right? Um, despite all this, though, they do mention that 75% of their sales are outside the United Kingdom. So, you know, the United States, Asia, Australia, basically, I'm just naming random countries that are outside the United Kingdom to sound intelligent. But I think everyone out there really knows where, the, more or less, the United Kingdom is and where it is not. That's probably not a terribly uh, difficult concept to for people to grasp. <laughs> But that's the point, right? You know, 25% of their revenue is in-country, 75% is out. And they talk a little bit more about where some of those sales, they break down in, in their details of the report. I didn't really, did I write that down here? Da, 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 da. Store counts. No, I didn't actually write down any details about, you know, where all the revenue is. I think it's in there. You know, I actually don't know if it is or not. There are certain things that, you know, especially the gamer, you might want to know that are not included in the financial reports. Games Workshop never reports on how individual products and product lines are doing. So we have no idea, you know, revenue-wise, how much is Warhammer 40,000, how much is Age of Sigmar, how much is board games and such. We can kind of put some upper limits on a few things. I'm fairly certain that we can put an upper absolute upper limit in Forge World, and we'll talk about that in just a moment here. But, so, you know, things like that, you probably want to know how the games are doing. We really have no information on that. Games Workshop does not provide that information. Unless, of course, they go, you know, we're canceling a game and blowing the world up. <laughs> As in the case of, you know, Warhammer fantasy battles and, and all that, that whole fun thing from a few years ago that Supposed to tick a whole lot of people off, but I really think Age of Sigmar is doing pretty well for itself. It it may have had a slow start, we really don't know. Because I imagine a lot of Warhammer Fantasy players didn't really convert over to it. But like I said, we don't have the numbers. They don't provide sales numbers for their lines and things like that. The best that we have in terms of sales numbers for their product lines is they said in there that I think thirty three percent of their revenue was a new product line and 66% were old product lines. I don't know what new means. You know, that's one of those kind of terminologies that we really, is a new product new for a month until something else new comes out? Is it new for the year? 
that was just the number I pulled out of the report. Maybe they go into a little bit more detail as to what exactly that means. But I, I did not immediately see, you know, what is a new product versus what is an old product. So, I don't know. You do the best you can, right, with these things? So I'm just going to put a few more highlights here on his, on his armor. And I can definitely start seeing a little bit of brighter highlights around the edges and some of the lines. That's what I'm kind of going for. And then I'm going to probably work on a little bit of the details of his armor, I think. We can do some of, I hear the little spikes that he's got running down the side of his leg. Make those stand out a little bit. I have a really cool way of painting silver that can look cool. Maybe I can do a little bit of battle damage. We'll see. I'm going to be live streaming for probably another, when did I start this show? Was it 50-ish? So probably another 20 minutes I'll do, I'll be talking here for. Then we'll call it a day. Let me move on to the other piece uh, for his armor and just kind of highlight some of that. Same kind of thing. I'm just applying a very small amount of paint on my brush and then gently applying it around the edges. Just to get some edge highlighting that's not really super well-defined edge highlighting. So let's talk about how their revenues break down versus how they break their revenues down. That's actually because it's like this is the information they provide. Games Workshop's revenues are broken down into three categories. They have retail. Retail is being their own line of retail stores, and they have a lot of stores. I think there's some in the range of 450. I got uh, 451 about. 451 stores are open up this year. Or no, not. 451 stores total. They did not open 451 stores this year. That's not the kind of growth that they had. They would probably love to have that kind of growth, but that's not what they had. Uh, they opened 30 stores. 31 open. I can't read my notes from five, from two feet away. And 20 closed. So overall, they had a bit of a net growth in terms of the number of stores opening up this year. But that corresponds to about 41% of their revenue. And they're, this is one of the, when you get into the stores, the stores are kind of one of their legacies that things, their store policies are one of the legacy things that kind of stick around from their past few years, you know, where they, you had their cost cutting measures. They used to have multi-man stores all over the place. You know, there used to be a, a bunch of them around here in Michigan. I, I've I actually know, I've known a lot of people who worked at the Games Workshop stores over the years, mainly just how that's how things worked out. But, you know, they used to have three or four people working in the stores. They had them in expensive locations. There was a Great Lakes Crossing mall that they had one in there, though that may have been an issue with the mall, not necessarily the Games Workshop, because Great Lakes Crossing went to an outlet mall, and the Games Workshop store is not an outlet store. It's a, it's a messy, messy thing that mall has been doing. Um, but regardless, that, that kind of reflects their, their used to be their strategy, was trying to have a lot of these you know, stores in high-traffic areas. Because the Games Workshop stores are really one of the main recruiting stations for the Games Workshop uh, line of products. That's, that's really what the stores are for. And they talk about this, how this is their main recruitment tool, and they, that's what they really want these. But of course, multi-man stores are expensive. They weren't really making a lot of profit. And when things got tight, they need to figure out some other way of doing things. So they switched to a lot of single-man stores where they have a single person running the store, and they occasionally seem to bring in somebody else for give them a few days off, because 
like the store the store that I sometimes go to there's one guy you know who runs it 99% of the time and every now and then there's some other random person in there I assume the, the main manager is off on vacation or whatever or he, sometimes he goes to like you know when the sales meetings or whatever games workshop has because all the store managers you know get invited to these training sessions or something or another whatever they are so that was one of their big cost cutting measures you cut down from three people to store to one you save a lot of money long story short in the business world people are expensive um, if you've never actually tried to make money yourself with your own time and and things like that, like some sort of independent contractor running your own business, it's really you don't realize just how much you really cost. <laughs> but I'll tell more stories about that some other time. I'm here to talk about uh, financial stuff for GW. So that was one of the big cost-cutting measures, and Games Workshop is still has that policy. The vast majority of their stores are still one-man stores. I think it's 300 and something for one-man stores. And they talk about how, though, they've been adding, they've been kind of slowly moving back into these three- and four-person stores. They call them high-footfall locations. And they're kind of their flagship stores. And they have 102 of those, I believe, was the number that was in the report. And the thing they mention about those, very specifically, is they're being very careful to make sure that they remain profitable. They don't want to get in a situation where they had before where they had all these stores, but let's face it, they, were, they weren't really making a lot of money. So they want to make sure that doesn't happen again. And that's why they're watching these stores very, very carefully. And if they are not making a profit, they may switch them to one-man stores and they may close them altogether. So that kind of sums up the retail strategy of Games Workshop. And it had, that really hasn't changed much in the past few years. So here's what we got so far with Cypher. Um, let me hold on a little bit closer. It's autofocus camera. Go. Okay, kind of. Yeah, so you can see I got a little bit of a greenish tint to his armor. So I think that that's really about as much color as I'm going to apply to the armor. I don't really want it to be a strong color. He isn't. He doesn't normally have the you know proper dark angels green. So I don't want to go all that way and give it you know a nice dark angels green. But I got some dark color in there. I've got a little bit of edge highlighting, very, very soft edge highlighting. So what I want to do is add a little bit of battle damage and kind of scars around his armor, and then I'll probably start working on a little bit of the details here on his kneecap. So when it comes to doing some battle damage, I'm going to actually work with Dawnstone Gray. And I'm just going to do some very faint dry brushing. Just very faint. I'm not even going to put this on my wet palette. It's funny, I actually, um, for wiping off paint, I use my uh, pants. <laughs> I have an old pair of running pants that is basically become like my paper towel for wiping off paint because it's just convenient. So I did, I'm going to do some very light dry brushing here. It's, like, it's funny, I'm like, I want to zoom in and really look close, but no, that doesn't work like that in, in real life. I'm, I've done a lot of digital painting recently, so that's why I'm always, whenever I get into the real life painting, I want to do pinch zoom, pinch zoom, but I know it doesn't, doesn't actually work. <laughs> I, don't know. I seriously try to do that. I'll be drawing on a pencil, on a, on a pad, you know, drawing pencil art, thank you, brain. Um, I'll be drawing some pencil art, and I'll literally try to pinch and zoom the paper. I'm like, oh, wait, no, that doesn't work here. It's not Photoshop. Um, so we talked a little bit about the multi-man stores versus one-man stores, how they remain profitable. Then you get to their second category of revenue. They call that trade. Trade is simply all the independent retailers 
that carry Games Workshop products. This is all your your small hobby stores. I'd imagine this would be things like your Barnes & Noble that carry just the novels. So if you want to go buy your Black Library novels, I imagine this is probably factored in there as well. I don't really know that for sure, but that'd be my guess because this, this is the only place where those kind of things would, would factor in. So let me see, I'm just adding a little bit of the gray dry brushing. And this and trade, this accounted for 38% of their revenue. Um, so the retail is actually slowly overtaking trade. They are traditionally they've been very, very close, very, very close in terms of you know what of how much retail versus trade. But it's it's clearly looking over the past two years that their retail stores in terms of revenue are overtaking trade. But the important thing to note here is there's probably I'd imagine there's probably a lot more profit in the trade than there is in the retail stores because there's a lot less cost. I mean, sure, you've got a sales staff who's got to deal with independent stores and ship things out, but all that shipping inf infrastructure still has to work for your retail stores and things. So I'd imagine the profit on the, on the trade is probably a lot higher than it is on retail, but I, really, I don't know that off the top of my head. That's just, that's just me kind of guessing a little bit. And the big thing, though, in regards to trade, what has changed is this year they changed their policies to allow tr independent stores to sell their products online. I don't know why they did this. It was not terribly clear as far as I know why they did this, but they, you know, for a long time, Games Workshop has been famously well known for not allowing game stores to sell their stuff online and their own online stores. Only Games Workshop could sell their products online. But for whatever reason, they decided to change this. I don't know, because I don't know the justification behind it. But I'd be curious to see what's going to happen in terms of how this will affect their third category of revenue, third revenue category, which would be mailer. Or I'll talk more about that in a moment. Um, so what I'm going to do now is I'm taking some lead belcher. This is a silverish color, and I'm going to put a few streaks of lead belcher mixed in with these areas of Dawnstone Gray. And what this does is it creates some highlighted areas so you're, that are a little bit brighter in the color around them, and the human eye should catch them out a little bit, and that's going to add a little bit of depth. Just a little tiny bit of depth to that Dawnstone Gray, and there's a little bit of variation to it, and starts making in your brain think. There's a t little bit of three-dimensional effect going on to that battle damage. This is something you can also do in digital painting, where you make areas of a color brighter, and your brain starts thinking that there is a little bit of light highlighting hitting there. So I'm just going to apply a few streaks of these little... Uh, this lead belcher and just to get his little highlights out. So mail order is the third category for games, like I mentioned, Games Workshops, kind of how they break the revenue down. And that primarily focuses on their website. This is, you know, all the orders that come to their website and presumably is talking, you know, a little bit ago about the upper level of Forge World. My guess is Forge World's probably included in this as well. I don't really know where exactly Forge World falls in terms of those three categories, but I imagine most of it is the web order. Granted, there's some retail selling of Forge World, but there's not a lot. It's a, and there's some stores around here where you can kind of get Forge World, 
but it's not a common thing for sure. So this, I don't know how this number is going to be impacted with, you know, by allowing independent stores to start selling stuff online. And at least around here, I'm fairly certain there is one store who has finally picked up Games Workshop as a product line because of this change. They're one of the largest game stores around here for their entire existence. They never sold Games Workshop stuff retail. Occasionally, they'd have a GW product in their used section, but that was pretty rare. But um, they had a very they have a very comprehensive online store, and now. And with this announcement, they actually, I believe they credited games, this announcement of allowing them to sell Games Workshop stuff online as the reason why they finally picked up the Games Workshop products for their store. So it has, it, it's increasing, this move is going to increase their reach a little bit. I don't know how much, but maybe, maybe enough that it's worth their time. I don't know. We'll see, you know, or not, um, maybe it'll be enough of a reach of an increase that it's not it's going to offset any losses from Games Workshop's online store as it is. It would be interesting to know how Games Workshop's online store revenues break down. We don't know this. Cuz when every single pre-order, at least in the local GW store when I pre-ordered stuff, like this guy when I pre-ordered him, you're technically ordering it through their web store. You're not actually ordering it through the store, I think, cuz you know, you you just choose the option pay in store. So it'd be interesting to know when you pay in store like that for pre-order, is that a web order or is that a retail order? I don't actually know because it's kind of a little bit of both. And that would also, they know that information, we don't, but if that information would often, would actually help to influence whether we should allow independent retailers to sell online or not. Because if that 20% mail order is actually really 18% pre-orders, then it's not going to harm them very much to allow independent stores to start selling stuff online. But if that 20% mail order is really, you know, 19% online order, 1% pre-order, then that, you know, that's a different different numbers there they have to factor in. I don't really know, you know, what they're factoring in. All right. So let me do a little bit more uh, effects on this armor damage here. We're actually kind of getting close to the end of talking about the GW financial report anyway. So it won't be ramming on here too much longer. What I'm going to do is I'm going to take some lead belcher that I just used. I'm going to put a little bit down on my wet palette here. And I'm going to mix in a small amount of a bad in black. So I'm just going to darken it down a little bit. So I'm trying to create a very dark silver. And what I'm going to do here is put this color opposite the highlighted battle damage I just put in a minute ago, and this is going to make it look like there's areas of the battle damage there on shadow, and the whole shadow versus bright versus normal color really will also help to bring out some of that 3D look to the to the battle damage. All right, so the last two things we can talk about are one licensing. So this is this is all GWs when they license their. Um, their products through IP exploitation. That's actually their terminology, not mine. <laughs> they call it IP exploitation at one point. They talk about, I think they're hiring, hiring somebody to do more to investigate more IP exploitation. Um, that is, this is, you know, when they license their product to other things. And we know this year round they made like seven and a half million, seven and a half million pounds in revenue regarding 
to their you know licensing, and they do break it down in terms of how much are the various things. Eighty percent of that came from PC games. In particular, I imagine this was Total War Warhammer, which man, I'm terrible at that game. I'm not gonna lie. I don't know. I've never been good at the Total War games in general. I've played a couple of them. I have no idea why I thought I would be good at the Warhammer one. I'm just horrendous. My empire collapsed in like 15 turns. I think Karl Franz was killed in battle. It was a disaster pit. <laughs> I'm horrendous at that game. But also, of course, we had Dawn of War 3. I played that a little bit. I haven't played that too much, to be honest with you. I just, I don't know. I kind of like Dawn of War 2 a lot better. It's Dawn of War 3 just really feels like StarCraft with Warhammer stuff, and I'd rather just play StarCraft. But I don't know, i got to play through more of it. Maybe the story will, get, story will get really cool and things like that. So I just haven't played much of it yet. I bought all the Warhammer stuff as part of the Steam Summer Sale, but, you know, digress. I'm really, really getting off topic here. Um, there we go, just a few darker things. So other than that, 80% was PC, 13% was mobile, and 7% was listed as Other. The big other thing that we haven't talked about that applied this year that really doesn't apply anymore, of course, was the Fantasy Flight, uh, the whole Fantasy Flight, um, you know, licensing deal where Fantasy Flight made board games based on, based on, I'm Warhammer, duh, a little slow there, what are you talking about? Games Workshop. Fantasy Flight made, you know, a bunch of board games based on the Warhammer Fantasy and Warhammer 40k franchises, and that partnership officially ended in February of this year, but revenue would still apply, of course. Wrong guy. I'm, I'm doing some of the battle damage now to the other part of his shoulder pad, especially where on the shoulder pad here there's actually some chip marks. You definitely want to put some battle damage there. So the revenue from that would be factored into licensing royalties, which if 7% other was what Games Workshop got from Fantasy Flight... That isn't a lot of money for them, because we always wondered who broke off that relationship. Was it them? Was it Games Workshop? Was it Fantasy Flight? We, we never will know. You know, they had a nice amicable parting statement. It has been a fantastic partnership, and we will blah, 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 blah. We, you know, whatever. Um, it's quite possible that the revenues Games Workshop got were so low that with, you know, Fantasy Flight preparing to announce Rune Wars and now Star Wars Legion, both which are just you know, basically secret missiles right towards Games Workshop. If you look at some of the battle reports of Star Wars Legion, they have a Force Org chart that looks a hell of a lot like something you'd see in 40K. So that all those things combined probably is why that partnership didn't really go anywhere because Fantasy Flight is now moving into more of a competitor to Games Workshop than they are a, you know, complementary service. And I'm sure that's Games Workshop isn't very happy with that if they weren't, getting a whole lot of money and seven percent of seven million is like five hundred thousand pounds out of you know your 150 million pounds is a tiny fraction of your revenue so that's probably why that whole thing all fell apart and then you know the last thing that we can talk about inside their financial report is they do detail some of the interesting costs they're working on you know, last year they talked a lot about, was it last year or two years ago, they talked a lot about their new, I think it was two years ago, their new website that's really just an over-glorified store. Oh, I didn't talk about the marketing, but anyway. I'll start working on some of the, the details of his armor so I can talk about the marketing aspects. So they, that was something interesting this year too. But 
this year, a lot of their expenditures were things that are probably not terribly interesting to most people except me because they're software-related. <laughs> they're upgrading a lot of the software systems for their warehouse is one of them. Their ERP, which is tracking, I believe is sales tracking and things like that. They're upgrading that stuff. Um, so they're spending a, a lot of money upgrading software. And it's kind of funny to point out that in 2016, the particular ERP project for the European office was estimated to be six, cost six million pounds. This year it's now estimated to be nine million pounds. <laughs> oh, that sucks if that happens. Okay, so I'm going to start working on some details here as I talk finally about the last aspects of their marketing. And what I'm going to do is a lot of these details are going to be silver, a tarnished silver. So I'm starting off with Dawnstone Gray. Dawnstone Gray is the base that I always apply for anything that's going to become silver because that way I can kind of give a a little bit of a worn silver look initially by having just a plain gray beneath whatever it is. So I'm working right now on the skull that's on the kneecap and the little thing that's around his kneecap as well. I guess which, which would be his kneecap armor. <laughs> yes, yes it would. So there's, they've spent a couple million dollars, a couple million pounds, sorry. I made it this far, I thought I'd make that mistake. A couple million pounds on these software upgrades. I, the factory one was like at about a million and a half pounds, something like that. And, you know, they just specify this information just for investor inf incompetence, really, in some ways. Because, you know, that kind of large expenditure is cut into your profits. And if you don't really explain why your profits are nine million pounds less than they were the year before. I don't know if, I don't know if that's the case, but you know, if you if you you know if your profits went down or nine million pounds lower than expected, you really better explain what you're doing. And a big software upgrade like a new ERP system or new inventory management system is one of those things where it's okay. You're paying a lot of money right now, with hopefully you're going to get a really nice return on in the long term in terms of efficiency of your business or you know more sales or whatever it may be so that's why this is just something you see in a lot of financial reports because they're just kind of explaining where they're spending large chunks of money to the general investment population and unfortunately I kind of I know how that feeling is when things are like oh it's cost something now oh wait now it's 1.5 times the cost hopefully next year in financial report they'll say the process went great and not well we're up to 12 million pounds that's not what you want to tell your investors. <laughs> but we'll see what happens. That'll be a f we'll kind of keep an eye on that when their half year gets released at the end of the year, and we'll go from there. <laughs> so I got a little bit of gray there on the skull knee pad. I'm going to do the same for... He's got some little spiky things that are along his leg here. I'm going to do the same thing there. And the finally really big thing the Games Workshop changed was their marketing strategy. They really they started to embrace a web-based strategy. Of course, you've got Warhammer Warhammer TV is continuing to add new stuff. That was their YouTube channel. That wasn't this year. That was like two years ago, I think. But you know they're making that a huge priority. They're making some funny videos with Duncan and things like that. And then of course you've got the Twitch streaming. That's Warhammer Live. That was new this during this financial year. It was December of last year they added that. We have no idea what their subscriber information on that is, but they're probably making a decent chunk of money on it. I, I have Twitch Prime, so from time to time I do spend my one-month subscription on them, but I have kind of go between them and other people. So I really don't know exactly how much money they're making on that, but it's probably a decent amount. 
I don't know, you know, I don't know if they would set the goal as to where that's got to be making breaking even or not, because it's it's one of those kind of things where it's marketing, right? You don't, but you don't really know exactly how much marketing it is, because you don't have a way to link the views of Warhammer Live to sales of any given product. So I don't really know how they would track that or what they consider success or not. But the numbers in terms of followers, that, that information is public for Twitch.tv, is going up. Like I said, subscribers, which are their paying numbers, that is not something they release and probably never will release. All right. Well, I'm just going to finish these details here. I can probably finish those up later. But like I said, I'm just applying some Dawnstone Gray to them right now. You have any other weird little details? Uh, not really. The only, I guess you do probably we'll put a little bit of Johnstone Gray up here in these chest details and things, and figure out what they are later. But with that out of the way, I think that's a pretty good summary and commentary of a lot of the key um, components of Games Workshop's financial report. If you want to find the report yourself, you can head over to investor.gamesworkshop or games-workshop.com because they're still rocking that awesome hyphen in there. URL for some reason, and that's where you can find it. It's publicly available. It's something you know. It's you can find all the information and read about it if you want. But I think with all that out of the way, I'm going to go ahead and call this episode of Painting Cipher done. I'll probably continue a little bit on these details next time. Maybe work on the cloak. I'm not really sure what I want to do. To find out when I'm going to go live for these particular live streams, you really got to follow me here on Twitch.tv and hit that subscribe button. I don't have a schedule for these things. I just jump on whenever I have an hour free or so. Thursdays at 8 p.m., that is when I do my Legends of Caladagia, Caladagia live stream. And that's when I, you know, stuff related to Caladagia over here, the guy's hiding this side of me. I've been rebuilding this costume because I've been talking about how I'm slowly putting together a short film based in the Caladagia universe. So you can watch me do that kind of stuff there. And I recently ordered a 3D printer. <laughs> about time, right? No, I think they're actually to the point where they're good enough for non-miniature tabletop game-related things. So you'll be seeing a lot more stuff about 3D printing, probably on the tabletop battlefield. I th might be doing something a little bit different that website because it's kind of sat there for the last seven years without a whole lot of new stuff on it. But, you know, we'll see how that goes from there. So once again, I am Jason. Thank you for watching. For more information on all this stuff, you can follow me live at twitch.tv forward slash rockerrobotics. I'll probably put these things up on YouTube over at youtube.com forward slash user slash rocker robotics and of course tabletopbattlefield.com is the main website where I kind of run all this stuff through but there really isn't a lot there of new stuff just quite yet so thank you for watching and have a good night